This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort. Do you like the and? Is it is it obnoxious to add 17 syllables to the one-syllable word and? Anyway, it's Adrian. Adrian, how the hell are you? Say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Almost missed hey, it. Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, y'all. How you doing? <laughs> I have never derailed myself like that before. I'm usually so good at peppering other people and getting them off topic that I myself just made my brain askew. I think it was the and that uh, that did it. Maybe I should change it to colleague, co-host, ampersand. Yeah, see? No, no. I think the and is good. Okay. I realize that we don't, in America, not very sing-songy. When I've been to abroad, which is once, uh, Australian, they have such a tonal like method of speech. Whereas here, I feel like it's just blah. It sounds like the bleeding of sheep that are having like, sh- like shit gas. Agreed? Yeah, no. I mean, we sound like shit. I'm, I know. I know. I sound horrible. So I would feel so terrible going to like UK or Australia or New Zealand and they have to listen to my nasally American accent. So here's your chance, boys. You Slide into her DMs and tell her how lovely she sounds before her self-deprecation <laughs> gets too much. It is not. I'm happy. I'm good sounding like Fran Drescher. I can live my life doing that. That's totally fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. Fran Drescher, the nanny, was one of my first crushes. Well, there you go. So I'm not changing my name to the nanny on Instagram. So don't ask. The horror nanny. (laughs) The horror nanny. Sounds like the horror nanny, which wouldn't be nice either. So Hey, it's a good business for a lot of people. I keep seeing a lot of stuff. <laughs> Hashtag normalized dating sex workers and like no better way than to employ one. Am I right? That's true. Yeah. If you want to normalize it, like, have your kids raised by them. There you go. They have no choice. Yeah. And then when you not only are they your babysitter, but like you get to have fun with them after the kids go to sleep. Pull a Jude Law, but not get in trouble. And it's not crooked because it's it's in the job description. <laughs> Darling, you can't be mad. Here, here's her job description. It says, and I quote, subsection three of paragraph F in our employment contract. Well, there you go. You should bring that up to your wife and see how she feels about that. Oh, That'd she would murder me hard. <laughs> So here's a fun little, we uh, have a lovely Patreon patron and friend, Cameron Gibson. She gave easily the most thoughtful gift I've received from a fan. And Sorry, Joe. Yours was good too, but this was handmade. Sorry. And a bunch of other people now that I say it out loud, but sorry, fuck all you guys. My point is Cameron makes this vest that's amazing. And so I had mentioned in our Patreon exclusive chat, I said, hey, I'm going to try and wear this during coitus. So I go to my wife. I'm like, hey, dear, I have a, a fun little idea for a little gag for my friend here i'm gonna i'm gonna be bare chest i'm gonna have the vest on i'm gonna act like i'm going into a room and going like i'm gonna be like hey guys now is our chance and then i'm gonna do a voiceover of you saying nope and she was so appalled at the idea that i would use her as a sex prop that she wouldn't even give me the voiceover of the word nope so there you go well you know what she doesn't need to be uh, cast out into the internet (laughs) with that i don't blame her i'd say no to well i wouldn't even say nope no nah. what about like nah nah well, you could just record yourself saying and pretend it's her. You like to do a girl voice every now and again. I do. I feel like one yeah. of my the I have a curse where if I do the church lady voice once, uh, my whole brain just phrases everything in that. <laughs> you know, like even my inner monologue becomes well, that special and uh, just never goes away. Uh, that's so funny. I haven't thought of that in forever. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can never say the word taco without thinking of her harassing Anne Heche being like, did you like the hot dog or do you like the taco? 
Which is so funny to think oh that we were God. so obtuse back then being like, oh, well, she has to be a lesbian or she has to be straight. And now it's like, mm-hmm. whatever. She doesn't have to yeah. be she. Who cares? No, no. I remember I'm like, I'm a huge Sex and the City fan. And uh, Carrie was saying that there's no such thing as bisexual people. It's just like a layover to gay town. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if that works anymore, Carrie. I don't know if you can say that. You're on the wrong but. side of history, Carrie Bradshaw. I know, I know. But you know what? That was the time. Like, I think we talked about that before. That was so like, there was a, um, what the hell was it? I don't even know. Some fat comedian that Dan like loved in college. And he's like, oh, I found the DVD. Let's watch it. And the Ralphie guy like, drops. No, not Ralphie May. It's like, he looks like John Belushi. He's just fat and sweaty. I forget his name. The DVD's on the shelf. Remind me to tell you later. But he's like, keeps saying like, you know, the F word, like, you know, the F word against gay people. And over and over again, and I'm like, you know, but I'm thinking, okay, I looked at the box. I think it was like 2000. So like everybody said it, it was not a big deal, but like, I can't laugh at that now. I know this is like, everyone's like, oh, you're being too PC or you're being a snowflake. Don't you you be a PC police to me by having your own opinions that you keep to yourself. I can't laugh at that though. I just, I can't, I don't think that's funny. And I'm like, who the fuck is this badass guy sitting here talking about gay people? Like he doesn't even know what a treadmill is. So uh, who is he? Speaking of treadmills and fat comedians, did you ever listen to John Panette back in the day? No. John Panette is the penultimate fat comedian. You can have your Gabriel Iglesias and your Kevin James. No, no, no. John Panette. Mm, no. I mean, I probably, if I saw him, I'd probably know. I'm not like a huge, like, who do I know? Dane Cook. Like, that's the last time I watched stand up, I think. So. For frame of reference as to how important John Panette is to the character of my being, he was in a film with Dennis Rodman. So that shows you how important he right. would be. Can I just Google this person really quick? So. Sure. And I'm going to do filler by doing my rendition of whale sound in the back, which is completely unrelated to obese people, I realize. I, um, I, I'm going to do the sound of falling rain to soothe our listeners while Adrian looks like, Shh. Right, I see this. Okay. I know who you're talking about. This is not the guy dropping the F-bomb either. It, it so couldn't be. I don't, I'll have to. When I, I got to go find the DVD. I'll tell you later. John Panetta is a goddamn saint. <laughs> Well, you know, what are you going to do? I just, I, I don't know. But, but which brings us kind of to, you know, what we're talking about today, because, uh, you know, there are some things that when you watch, and I think we've discussed this before in some movie, like, for example, Sleepaway Camp 2 is so homophobic. Yeah. And, you know, I want to, like, I really enjoyed every other aspect about it, but the, the fact that it was, oh, and transphobic, for sure. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I think any horror film that deals with trans is always, by default, terrible when it comes to trans rights. But, like, what I'm about to talk to you about today is that, like, it, it seems that way, but is it just, like, bringing light the the horror, the, the horrificness or whatever, the shittiness of, you know, human nature and how they are towards anything that's different from themselves? Is it just, like, highlighting that? Is it a commentary on that? Or is it both and exploiting that? Because here's one of the interesting things that I've talked about a lot. When you have a character who's obnoxious, who espouses a negative view, even if that person gets their head cut off, that person is not offensive to the person who agrees with it. So they still get entertainment. And the person who gets to see that person get their comeuppance gets the entertainment, which is a kind of weird thing where you can have a huge spectrum when it comes to horror movies, where you have very rigid people on one side, very leftist losers like me on the other side. But we all get along because, hey, who doesn't want to see Chris Glover get smashed in the face with fucking Cleaver, right? Oh, exactly. And so, you know, you just with with those things like and, and again, what we're talking about today. I'm going to interject here. Lumberjack chop. 
what is your thesis? Because some people just click the thing or autoplay and they don't know the clever quippy title. Did you, did you like my quippy title last time? Is this a torture porn? Yeah, that was cute. I liked that. So is I this did. a misogyny? Is that what we're doing for this episode? Is it misogynist? Yeah, I guess we could ask that. I mean, I titled the notes female forward flicks because, it, you know, I like the alliteration with that. But you didn't read my notes, so you don't know. So You didn't send me your notes, <laughs> so I don't know. I did. Okay, well, I uh, whatever. I thought I sent them just now. Well, I'm sorry. Do I have time to do a bunch of research (laughs) and plug in (laughs) footnotes for everything that you say now? No. I don't know. I thought I shared it. That's my fault, everybody. I've been dropping the ball this week. So excuse me. (laughs) I totally forgot to send it to you. But anyway, um, but yeah, is horror uh, misogynistic? For me, I don't think so. But there are a lot of people that argue differently, especially the way with the violence against women and all, you know, a lot of films include rape and mutilation and things of that nature against women. And especially in slasher films where, you know, women who are sexually promiscuous usually die, right? So although, you know, I was really happy to see Paris Hilton go in um, House of Wax. What was it? House of Wax. That was the best. Like Christmas came early. But, you know, so I, well, what do you think before we get into it? What do you think? I would agree. I, so one of the things that I talk about very often is the exploitation of women in the sense that women evoke a certain degree of sympathy. But I think that one of the key elements of the way that women evoke sympathy is by the way that women generally provide empathy. You know, when it comes to men, men were raised by mothers very often. They have sisters. They have women have struggled the same way. If you look at men in horror movies, fucking everybody cheers. I cheer. I know I'm way more comfortable with a guy getting killed, but I'm always rooting for a woman. And I, I'm obviously, like we've talked about, I'm a bit left of center, fancy myself a bit of a feminist. So so there's two prongs to that. One, yes, it's exploiting the nature in you, but then two, there's the question of if it's perpetuating these stereotypes and everything because it's using this in a mainstream media and it's making money off. I mm-hmm. like to think very often these women are empowered. They're depicted as overcoming something. They're depicted as individualistic, not reliant on others. And that's the thing that I love. You know, I hate movies like Wonder Woman, right? We're like, yeah, pussy power, XX chromosome, right? But then you have the issue where Steve Trevor is the one who saves the world. She's a distraction. She just stalls Ares for five minutes so he can blow up the MacGuffin. She mm-hmm. needs him. That mm-hmm. pisses mm-hmm. me off. Whereas in a horror movie, Jamie Lee Curtis is handling Jamie Lee Curtis. Sorry, mm-hmm. horror in a half shell. Mikey, I hope your birthday sucks because you don't like Jamie Lee Curtis. Move on to the next topic. I still love you, Mikey. So don't worry. I, I hope your birthday doesn't suck. I'm not that petty. I'm not taking it back. <laughs> but, you know, exactly my point. And, and so... And and then I was reading an article, and I don't even remember which one it was. I wish I had saved it. Uh, But I was just kind of reading it when I thought we were recording last week. So I was trying to like cram everything in right before, and then we didn't do it. So, and of course, I forgot to save the article. But I was reading something along the lines where it says horror has been highlighting strong female, you know, agency longer and has more of it than any other genre, which I thought was like. Which, you know, and I think about it, it's true. I mean, because we want to see the final girl. We want her to win. And honestly, you don't, what, what, what was it? Cabin in the, the Woods, for instance. Like, I like how it kind of shifted things. Like, that was fun. But I kind of wanted the stoner guy to save the day. And I think he does, right? He saves the day. Well, he way. also ruins the day, which yeah, is another kind of day. twist on it, right? 
Yeah, so I like how that movie sort of, you know, twists the the, the normal tropes of uh, horror or whatever. But as far as like movies goes, horror always, it can show the worst parts, like the worst things to happen to women, but it also shows how they don't, they can just kind of get through it and, and overcome, like you said. And, and this is another, and I know we'll talk about this in another episode, but this was another reason why I hated the new Black Christmas so much. And did you watch it yet? Oh yeah, just a shameless plug for the Patreon bonus episode for December. We're doing not <laughs> one not two but three different variations of black christmas all in one sultry episode no i didn't see it i uh, have this thing it's called common sense and if i'm not gonna have to subject myself to it let me tell you not gonna do it i'll probably watch it for the episode but i just it looked so bad it was like let's all just give ourselves rotator cuff tears patting each other on the back and it's like you see you might think that that's empowering to women but women are smart enough to see the transparency of that and see this is just exploitative shit Exactly. Exactly my point. So I think that there are films that are just, especially with the whole Me Too movement, and this is what this movie plays off of, is that, you know, it it uses the Me Too movement to kind of sort of throw a commentary in your face, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so we'll talk about that in the other episode, or at least I will just shout it at all of you. But um, I think it's Adam's... That's Adam's movie, so I'll, I'll give that to him. But, you know, so I just wanted to talk about, you know, feminism in horror movies and and just argue that they are not misogynistic and just sort of go through a couple of my favorites that are, are not extremely popular. But yeah, I'm going to pick up on something you said where you talked about, you know, furthering females in film. When you look at movies like Haywire, Red Sparrow, Atomic Blonde, they're all almost like this pithy, oh, well, it's interesting that she can do this because she's a woman. She's not just a woman doing so. There's always like mm-hmm. almost a sense of gimmickry, whereas with horror, it never feels like necessarily a gimmick. I know it's a trope to have the final girl, but it's never, and at least that's the way it feels to me, is we're all kind of yeah. in on the joke as opposed to that where I could very easily see the caveat of, oh, she kicks ass for a girl. Nobody goes girl. like, oh, she live to the end of this movie pretty well for a girl you know what i mean it's a slight mm-hmm. distinction there. yeah because there's a lot of final girls that fuck everything up i mean i can't there's a lot um and even laurie strode if we if we want to talk about her she would just went blindly into the house and she ran away she fell she fell over the stairs got her <laughs> arm cut out i mean all this shit happened to her i mean she didn't really try and fight back until he, he got into the house and so you know she I, I feel like she does fuck and and sydney and scream fucks it up a lot too like she's over here judging chicks in horror movies you know running upstairs instead of running out the front door and what does she do she runs up the fucking stairs yep. and then you know because she's got that special little door which we all wanted in high school but you know your parents can't get in but anyway it doesn't mean because they're a girl that they're better and they can survive better but i feel like you know because they they're still capable of, of screwing things up it's not it's not like okay atomic honor or any of those other films where they can do everything right and, and you know all of that obviously they're the real women like if this really happened to you and like I said before, I know I'd probably die first. I'm not going to, you know, cry about it. It's not a big deal. But Well, that's important um, <laughs> right there. That attitude that you have there. I don't think that a lot of women, and this might be a generalization, so correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think a lot of women couch terms of what someone else is doing based on what they would do. You know, I know every guy I know when we watch a horror movie or an action movie, when somebody holds their breath and they go underwater, every guy does it because we're like, look how big my dick is. I held my breath longer than Ryan Gosling. But I don't ever see (laughs) girls being like, I would have done this better because I'm a better woman that espouses my you know feminine nature. I feel like women are very enough more keen to root for one another at least in this context obviously there's complete other subsets where i think competition is way more rampant what do you think is that fair no i think that's fair and and honestly you know 
when I feel like when I'm watching a movie, I, I put myself in that situation, especially with movies like the ones we talk about today, because I think it's really like because we're empathetic and because we 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 feel more, I guess. I yeah. don't know. And I don't want to say that we feel more because I think men are just as capable of empathy as a woman. But I feel like in our culture, men are sort of subdued in that. And you know, you're not you're not allowed to cry in front of people and are not allowed to to be vulnerable or show your you know your fears, depending on how you were raised. And so Do you see that video uh, circulating? right now where some peewee football coach punches a kid in the head twice no because they like lost it's crazy and it's entirely emblematic of what you're talking about like so often men you know to have feelings or to be empathetic is viewed as weak or it's emasculating in terms of like you know you get into whole issues when it comes to homophobia and everything which is just it's insane to think about but it's crazy to think that in 50 years how regressive will look you know when we look 50 years back Mm -hmm. from here Uh, because i think there's still a lot of progress needs to be made oh for sure i mean you know we feel this way because you know you and i I have the same, you know, viewpoints, right? But we're like-minded, I guess, in, in certain ways. But you know, if you if you were to venture into parlor tomorrow, well, yeah. what the hell would you see? So, I mean, I, I like to think that everybody's sort of growing together. I would like that. I'm trying to be positive. I mean, maybe we'll all grow together in some way, shape, or form. Because um, especially, you know, by by creating this, in my opinion, by creating this whole stereotype that men have to be strong or whatever, it, it also kind of plays into the whole rape culture too. Because you know, men feel that they are superior and therefore they should be able to get what they want, right? And so you're yeah. sort of raising, you know, like, like the Brock Turners of the world. I mean, th- these are horrible things and his parents still stick up for him. And it's just, for me, I think some of these, you know, horror movies sort of, again, highlight or show, you know, how human nature really is, is is more horrific than the actual monsters, in my opinion. Because how many monsters are we really afraid of when we grow up? You know, not really. Like we love Freddie, he's funny. We love, you know, Jason, we love Michael. But I feel like the scarier people to me, in my opinion, are like you know, Henry Portrait of a serial killer. Like that to me is terrifying. Hundred percent. I don't know. And, and also, really quick, I want to do a shout out to Callie Marie Renison, who wrote a textbook, and she included a picture of Brock Turner in the definition of rape because he is a rapist. Never get that twisted. Exactly. Exactly. But that's what's terrifying, and that's that's <laughs> the you know the the evil that lurks in the hearts of man is so much worse. You know, like it's one of the reasons I don't really want to watch a lot of like suspense movies and stuff that's couched in terms of reality because I see this shit. You know, I'll watch a documentary because it's more analytical than it is exploitative. But when it comes to horror, like you know, I always use the term jumping the shark. So much of what I enjoy is jump the shark and then jump the shark that the other shark has jumped and then jump that shark again because it gets to a point where we can have this kind of sensitive catharsis and go, oh, like we all we got through this together. It was an experience. It's fun and it's over versus being reminded of like, oh, yeah, there are guys who keep women locked in basement here in this country in 2020. Like that's that's not an entirely uncommon occurrence. I know. And I I feel like, you know, watching horror for me is a nice little break from, you know, the, the actual disgustingness that is everybody. Right. So Anyway, (laughs) one of my favorite tweets about COVID was some guy was like, hey, if COVID caused your dick to fall off, we would have had this cured by like five dicks in. And I think there's a certain like attitude about that where have you ever heard how much a man will like pout and stomp and be like, I can't believe that this man was victimized. If it was different, if it was a man doing it to a woman, it'd be unfair. And I was like, okay, you've had one example of me. Here's 50 more. Here's here's the rape porn revenge subgenre. Enjoy it. Exactly. I know. And, and, and even that, 
is defended by a lot of feminists uh, because because it can be. I, and I just I can't watch it. I watched I Spit on Your Grave. And it was, it was the remake. It wasn't even the old one. And someone, you know, a friend of mine had just told me to watch it. Uh, you'll love it. Okay. So, you know, I've just put it on. I didn't even look at the, didn't even look at the synopsis, didn't care, watched it. And I was so fucking mad. Like I, I was just like, I had this look on my face. My boyfriend at the time was asking me like, why do you look so mad? I'm like, he's lighting matches and flicking them at her. Like, what the fuck am I watching? I'm just, and and, you know, it's supposed to be feminist because she comes out of this and and she, 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 I, I think in this case, when you're exploiting rape to where I feel like some people would be turned on by watching this and that's what creeps me out yeah because you can express that something horrifying has happened without showing it in graphic detail and there's a certain degree there where it's just like i'm not but like there's also the the old trope of like oh the lifetime movie where the woman gets victimized and she gets revenge she lives a good life and it's like but horror does that in terms that aren't analogous to my daily life no one Mm -hmm. is putting on a william shatner mask coming after me so in doing this (laughs) we get to root for somebody in a way that's familiar but also very separate and distinct from the lot of the stuff to see and i think that makes it a more soror i was gonna say fraternal but i guess a sororital experience yeah yeah no for sure i agree i definitely agree with that so so lay it on me what are some of the movies that you think prove that horror movies are not misogynist i wanted to pull out a couple of movies for you guys that are not like extremely popular i guess you could say sort of indie yeah i guess all three of them are indie but this little you know, movie you might have heard of it's called halloween well yeah everyone knows halloween right because we grew up with it but now like most indie movies just go straight you know to streaming and if you're not looking for it you're not really watching it right unless you're like me that tries to read everything and you know now i'm getting older i don't really do that anymore so i can't anyways it doesn't matter so i i'm talking today i'm gonna just talk about um american mary the black coat's daughter and starry eyes okay and um, just kind of go over a couple of things with you. But I also want the audience to know I did, I did, I would like to reiterate, reiterate to everybody out there that feminism is not women hating men. And so I just want everyone at home to understand that this is not a I hate men, pity party nonsense. I, I love men. Um, you know, I mean, they drive you me live crazy. with one. I live with one. I do. So of my own volition, not, you know, not because I'm locked in the basement. Um, Well, also, there's a term that I really like called small dick energy. And if you take a woman talking about feminism as an affront to your masculinity, that's small dick energy, dude. Let me Mm -hmm. tell you, because the amount of times you get to swing your dick around and feel A-OK versus the amount of, I mean... I see women who today still wince when they say vagina out loud in public because they're treated like it's a dirty word. Meanwhile, us guys are like, dude, my dick is 17 feet long. Oh my God. You know, and that's funny that you say that. So uh, there's a, there's a bar downstairs, uh, tanks, shameless plug. Um, and I go down there with Dan, like we go twice a week. It's like cheers. Everybody knows our name. We know all the bartenders, the same people that work there forever. Right. And a friend of ours, Sarah, and Sarah, I'm calling you out on this, but we love to shout across the bar like, hey, Sarah, how's your vagina today? Yes. And then she shouts across the bar. It's great. How's your vagina, Adrian? Because, you know, why, why can't I say vagina? Vagina, vagina, vagina. What is the big fucking deal? Like, we say dick all the time. Yeah. Like, don't be dick. a dick and all these things. And here's another thing. Dick is generally referred to as an antagonist, right? Whereas pussy is somebody who's victimized. Oh, don't be such a pussy. Oh, that's pussy mm-hmm. shit. Versus like, God, this dick. Can you believe? 
leave this dick doing whatever this dick wants to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so so we'll, we'll, we'll go on with, there. with the, the definition of feminism really quick, guys, is that the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sex. So I am just as equal to Jake, okay? Jake may say butt-fucking more than I do, but we are equal, okay? So, you know, and I just want everyone to understand that because, like, I get it, like, especially on certain forums that I comment on, I feel like when I comment on something, I literally will have men say to me that I hope you get raped and fucking die about things. Oh, yeah. And I, because I'm a girl and they know I'm a girl, they see my face, right? Like if I had a, a, a little character as my picture and a, a fake name, right? I'd probably be safer. But why should I fucking have to hide that I'm a woman? Like go fuck yourself. You know, and I will tell you off. So don't do, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna like come after me, I will tell you off, which I probably shouldn't do because you know, I should just let it go, right? But yes, Adina Manzel, you should let it go. I know, but um, you know, that's why I love the Mutant Goons page and I'm I know I'm so like obsessed with our that we have because we are very welcoming we're very open with each other and no one really attacks anyone for anything like it's a it's a quote-unquote safe space right i mean because just because i said i liked the new predator i don't feel like i should be raped and die i just don't feel like that should be a thing and i just feel like a lot of like different horror forums don't do enough moderating to like watch you know what's going on because and then a lot of people also get mad too they're like well why are you making this movie political i'm like every horror movie is a commentary on something, okay? So it, it it's just there, whether yeah. you like it or not. It's not to upset you. It's not to say that I'm trying to turn you a leftist liberal. I'm not trying to do that. It's just there. So whether well, also, you like it or not. If I can't analyze a movie, we're not ever going to talk about the movie. So this is the discussion. Mm-hmm. Adrian, have you seen American Mary? And you say, yes. And I say, Cool. Have you seen Schmemble? And you say no. And I say, oh, have you? Because that's part of analysis. I mean, sure, some of my like crazy theories on movies and some of the things I say were never the intention of the filmmaker. We're happy accidents. We're just something that maybe I imprinted on the movie with my personal experience. But that's why you're listening to a show about fucking horror movies, because you want that discourse, you want that analysis. And like I think one of the great things about our audience is there's a lot of people who are self-deprecating. And when you get that kind of attitude, you have that kind of just, you're almost bulletproof in the sense that you just, I'll attack myself, don't worry about it. You don't couch things in terms of, is this an affront to me? You're just like, all right, water off a duck's back, you know, what have you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, we'll get into it because I I found an article that was titled, let me just scroll down here. I'm not allowed to have paper notes anymore, guys, just so everyone's aware. Now I need to scroll. Uh, But I looked at uh, this one article, Critics Survey. It's an article on feminist horror. Um, Like, what is feminist horror? asking several different women what they believe to be feminist horror. And um, a lot of the different quotes for that I pulled. So I just want, you know, to sort of to, to, to pull a quote and like relate it to the movie, just like I'm writing an essay, guys, because I'm a teacher. Uh, so, but Alex Heaney had said that what I love about horror is with any heightened storytelling is that it makes visible the invisible by amplifying and externalizing the fears and difficulties we face as women every day, yeah. which I believe works perfectly with American Mary. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it came out in 2012. It's streaming on Tubi. I suggest you watch it because it's amazing. Soska sisters. Yeah, the Soska sisters. I go. love them. Oh my God. I love it. a lot of people hate on them, but um, I think they're great. I just, I, I, I like the humor. I like their, I like their style of writing. Um, 
I like the aesthetic of their films. I, whatever. You don't have to like it if you, you know. But this one I feel is uh, probably my favorite in terms of, of everything that they've done. So, but Catherine Isabel stars in it are Ginger Snaps. We love her. And she plays a destitute medical student who begins taking clients from the extreme body modification community to solve her financial troubles. And so... Obviously, it stars Catherine and Isabel. It's on Tubi again, so please make sure that you guys go and watch this if you haven't seen it yet. But um, I feel like Mary represents a lot of women, especially in college, um, because you know a lot of us are on our own. We don't have a lot of money. She has to take care of herself, and she's just being bullied by her professor, who you know in turn date rapes her at some point. And so I don't view this um, as a rape revenge. I feel like I find the biggest difference between this film and something like I Spit on Your Grave is that Mary's rape is not really voyeuristic or exploitative as some of the other ones like i don't see that somebody would watch this movie and get off on it yeah like that's that's i, I don't know how you feel about it have you, have you seen it no i'll be honest with you oh but i'm God. a huge fan of see no evil 2 which i think is superior to the first and that's one that they did yeah and you know there, yeah. there are scenes which you know there involves sex and you know fetishizing the dead and everything so the sexualization of horror i think is very empowering when a woman does it yeah, exactly. Because, you know, the, there is a strip club in in this movie and I feel like the women in this movie do the things that they do because they want to do them and not because they're made to do it. And like, I identify with Mary because as a woman, I'm just reading off my notes. So if it sounds like I'm reading, I am. Sorry, guys. Uh, she's, <laughs> expected to, she's expected to prove herself um, as exhibited by her pig professor, but at the same time, only viewed as an object and treated as such. The patriarchy works against Mary until she is able to take the reins and crush it under her heel. And, um, you know, she i don't want to spoil it for you jake but i really feel like you should watch this now i don't want to keep reading my note because i feel like i'm going to spoil it for you but she ends up losing herself right this film like i feel like this film does not exist because mary was raped the rape was her tipping point because she was going through so much bullshit at the beginning beginning of the movie and then when this she thinks that she's going to this party to further her career and make a name for herself and really this party exists because these men invite these uh, students to this party so that they can you know drug them which, I mean, is an exaggeration of things that happen, but this happens. There are Weinstein. There's the whole trope of women putting themselves through college by exploiting themselves sexually. So mm-hmm. this is all just an amplification of stuff that we see every day. Exactly. Exactly. And again, I don't, it, this is not something like, I feel like, I don't feel like a guy is turning this on and is like, you know, whatever. So, but Mary is smart on her own and she realized that she can attain her dream as a surgeon and obtain what she wants on her own and is able to take control. So, you know, by her, so basically the whole premise of her, uh, what she does after this is that she's able to get into the body modification community and sort of do these like surgeries because at this point she's almost a surgeon. She just hasn't graduated yet. She does all these under the table surgeries for people to do all these crazy body modifications on themselves. And um, she like fucking, she owns it, man. She like is a, She's able to to get herself a bodyguard. She's able to do all this stuff on her own. Like Molly's game. Yes. <laughs> I saw that movie. That's that's a, a movie that wasn't horror related that I saw. Can you believe no, that? But, you know, okay. I love Jessica Chastain. I I love her. But the, okay, we're not talking about Jessica Chastain. See right how easy this to derail you? I just did it to is. you what I did with the word and to myself 20 minutes ago. <laughs> 
Well, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, we have an, a, I say my piece and then we can move on. But, you know, of course, Mary's faced with the, the point of feeling like she's lost herself in the process. She lost who she was because she has to, to be this way to get what she wants. And I feel like a lot of women are faced with this choice. Like we're never given the choice or we're never just allowed to be who we are and have what we want. Like in society, we either have to be the working woman and, and do what we got to do or we can be a wife and have a family. The wilting and, lily, the, the long-suffering wife. Or you're on the other side where you're always couched in terms like, you're, oh, have you seen that ambitious woman? No, it's always, have you seen that bitch? Mm-hmm, exactly. Like we, we can't say what we want. We can't, you know, and I'm not saying in every, in every circumstance, like I feel like now, like I, I don't shut my mouth at work, so I'm able to say what I want, but I feel like there's a lot of people that, you know, for instance, a friend of mine was just talking about in her industry that, you know, she was on a job interview and the, one of the guys came in and wanted her to get into sales and because she was so striking. Hmm. tells her to her face she's so striking that she should get into sales because you know she would do better with that and honestly she's been doing her job for the job she currently has for 10 plus years and she's being furloughed so she's looking for another job but how the fuck are you going to tell somebody isn't that against the law like you can't just say oh you're pretty so we're going to hire for that because we need you to do this job like who the fuck are you like that's all i'm that's all i'm good for because i'm pretty like so anyway, I'm just going on a tangent now. Sorry. Okay. That's that's um, inherent subjugation. We do that all the time. Because let me let me ask you this. Have you ever been watching a commercial for Carl's Jr.? Some guy starts like rubbing his dick on the bun and you're like, mm. no, but you see plenty of chicks rubbing their tits on stuff in every commercial from this, that to the other. And that's completely fine. No, it's not. That's not the same thing. Come on, guys. It's disingenuous to say that it is. So if you think we're getting ranty at this point, we're not. These are all yeah. transparencies. You just couch them in your own terms, your own experience. If you feel like, again, if you feel like this is an affront to you or attacking you, just take an objective look, sit back and go, okay, if I was an alien and I had never seen any of this stuff, is this appropriate? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I, I love this movie in terms of, you know, what it is commenting on. And it's just... I, I adore Mary. I say this all the time that she is my hero. So you probably think I'm a psycho if you've seen it or if you will watch it, but um, she is my hero. I fucking love her. And I think that she's such a great fleshed out character. And and so I recommend it. I really, you know, even if you don't want to look at it as a feminist horror, you don't have to, it's okay. You can just watch it for fun because it is a fun movie. So, um, so that's my, that's my take on American Mary. Oh, and then I said, as Orla Smith uh, states in her critique, this film also portrays not just a woman at war with the world around her, but a woman who's eventually at war with herself and who is she has become. Um, and again, this is, a, I feel like, what's going on in society, right? So, you know, I know that we all make our own choices. So, I, you know... <laughs> It's America. Everybody has the same opportunities. Everybody has the same exact opportunities. Everybody's come on honky. Yeah, there you go. There you have it with American Mary. And so what you got to love American Mary, a Canadian horror film, <laughs> which brings us to our next Canadian horror film. I'm noticing a theme here. The Black Coat's Daughter. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't do this on purpose, but I. Whatever. It's just like when I you go to Kmart and you get an American flag and it's made in China. That's what I feel like that movie <laughs> Exactly right. Oh my God. Okay. Um, so yeah, the next one, Black Coat's Daughter. So if no one's seen it, this one is uh this one's a trip. This one is a is a fun little trip. So but again, it, it was made in 2017. It's got a it's got a more well-known cast. It has uh Kiernan Ship Kiernan Shipka. I can never say her name, I don't know why. Which I love Mad Men, by the way. Lucy Boynton and Emma Roberts. Um not a big fan of Emma Roberts. I don't know how you feel about her. She just annoys me. I don't know why, but a lot of people just annoy me, so I can't be too critical. But I remember seeing 
her in blow and blow makes me feel awful inside. So probably on my not yeah. good list. Eh, you know, so whatever. I mean, people love her. I just, she, I don't know why. I'm sorry, Emma, if you ever hear this. I'm sure you're a great person. I'm just not a fan. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, so this one is on Netflix. And so if you have Netflix, I suggest you watch it. Um, it is a little bit of a slow burn. So if you fall asleep or you tend to fall asleep during movies, I suggest watching it like while you're wide awake or after a cup of coffee or turn the lights on or, or if you don't like slow burns, you don't have to watch it. But Can I tell you a quick bit of trivia on this film? Sure. Written and directed by one Osgood Perkins. Do you know who he depicted in a sequel to a classic horror film that I would argue is quite competent, if not outright good. He played a young Norman Bates in Psycho 2. Psycho 2, good movie, I say. Oh, my God. Oh, how did I know? Well, you know, I didn't Google him. I, I feel like I should have known that, but whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> when I saw his That's face, so I was cute. like, wait, go back. Yep. And he's also been in Star Trek. Of course I know this, but keep going. Okay, yeah. All right. So he's popular. Guys, watch the movie. I love it. Um, <laughs> But basically, this one's about, uh, during the dead of winter, a troubled young woman, played by Emma Roberts, she always plays a, a, a wacko, um, embarks on a mysterious journey to an isolated prep school where two stranded students face a sinister threat from an unseen evil force. Um, so again, this is another female for It's actually... I think all women except for um, the father in the movie. I don't really remember that many men. Okay, maybe the priest at the beginning, but that's about it. So James well, Remar, um, I'm gonna tell you, you better dial that back. You're talking about the God of Thunder, Raiden. This is exactly why I didn't mention him because I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> now Raiden, now Raiden has like poo pooed on my whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'll, okay, how about this? I'll take it back to feminism. He was one of the starring characters in The Warriors, which is easily one of the best films of all time, 100 times better than 300. That film has the Lizzies, who are a group of lesbians in a gang that are a threat to the Warriors, showing that women are equal and that women can like vaginas too. Oh, okay. All right. I'll give you that one. I was almost going to say Highlander, <laughs> but that was the other Raiden, right? So. Oh, no. Yeah, like, Christopher God, Lambert. Yeah. I know. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, anyway, so this one is a, is like a supernatural, like a slow burn, I would say. And Orla Smith uh, talks about how the role of penetration in possession films, because it, essentially uh, Kieran and Shipka is possessed, right? So, and, and I love how this movie shows that women are just as capable of men um, and doing these heinous, awful things. Have you, have you seen it? Have you seen this one? Nope. Yeah, okay. I love the poster for it, though. It reminds me of scary stories to tell in the dark. But when you're talking about penetration, think about it. What's one of the most iconic horror films of all time? Alien, where a man is impregnated and raped. People are like, it's oh, the yeah. scariest fucking thing I've ever seen. And women are like, I, that's one in six. I thought you were going to say Evil Dead for a second. But, oh, oh my with God. the dendrophilia? Or actually, it's not philia. Dendrophobia. We're moving on. Uh, anyways, yeah. So you're anyways. barking up the wrong tree with that one. <laughs> Okay, but you know, and the, the thing is, is like I, I've seen the, I've seen this movie, and I have to I, I need to rewatch it honestly because I was thinking the other day is is the is the main character cat is she really possessed or is she just imagining everything reinforcing the whole women are crazy or over emotional kind of trope thing? So I don't know. Like you have to you have to decide for yourselves. I mean, the the movie does show like the shadowy figures, but again, is 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 she crazy or is this really happening? Are we seeing it through with the lens of her? Also, it's an A24 movie, which means I'm probably too stupid to understand it anyway. Yeah, it's not linear, and there's three different uh, storylines going on at the same time. Oh, joy. So, so yeah, if you, if you can't follow it, don't watch it. It's but, Rashomon? You know, <laughs> 
but I will say this. The I, I know you like you said you like the movie poster, but the fucking movie poster gives away the whole fucking twist. So oh. I'm I, oh, it's kind I, of I, Fight you, Club. You, yeah, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so it, just look at the poster, everybody. Um, <laughs> but I like right. the fact. Before <laughs> I fuck this up anymore for you, can we talk about Starry Eyes? <laughs> okay. I could see um, your yeah. the cogs in your brain going. How do I fix this? How do I? Nah, shit. No, I know. I'm sorry. I had a day, everybody. So just forgive me. Starry eyes. Uh, please tell me you've seen this one. No. Oh my god, Jake. What am I gonna do with you? This one is fucking gnarly. Like it has one of the best kill scenes ever. She picks up a fucking like ten pound weight and bashes this bitch's skull in. Like it's yes. amazing. I'm it into is- that fucking amazing i oh my god for also, that scene alone you need to watch this movie <laughs> super sexy poster if i'm being honest with you there's the one uh, where it's just pentagrams I- or whatever but then there's another one where she's like draped in blood and she looks like she's uh, on a goddamn yeah. danzig album cover i love it yeah yeah oh my god so she gets into it in this one um now i i don't want to say i identify a lot with her but i do understand uh her frustration with everything um this is on tubi so i suggest you watch it uh, that this one i'm definitely gonna recommend to everybody see all of these films look so fucking pretty this is why i don't want i'll watch beetleborgs in the background at work because i can look up once every five seconds but a movie like this i feel like th- you know i never did acid this is how i would induce a hallucinatory <laughs> state is gazing at this without blinking because i'm looking at stills and I'm like, God damn, this is gorgeous. Yeah, no, I, it's a, I mean, this one is what I love Alex Esso. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about her, how amazing she is. I love her. Um, she's Danny Torrance's mother in Dr. Sleep. And she's also in uh, the anthology for Halloween Tales. Uh, she's in other things too, but uh, she is fucking amazing in this movie. Um, and basically she's, uh, I'll just quick synopsis, a hopeful young starlet uncovers the ominous origins of the Hollywood elite and enters into a deadly agreement in exchange for fame and fortune. Like she basically sleeps with the devil to get where she's at. Um, what? And in turn, yes, like, well, like a demon. She does stuff with him. But so this is that whole thing where guys are like, well, I mean, they fucked Harvey Weinstein, so she can't say anything. You're like, well, exactly. Not exactly true, but yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I quoted Jessica Parent in this one. They're engaging with the various themes of horror from rape, revenge, motherhood, sisterhood, coming of age, aging, mental illness, and sexuality. These types of horror films are able to address the damaging impact of the oppressive patriarchal system on the collective feminine body. As well, feminist horror gives legitimacy and a voice to the monstrous feminine by allowing women to express their deepest and darkest initial struggles where they take them, right? So uh, with this, she starts to like decompose, right? After she slips this guy and she either has to embrace the darkness to become something more or she just lets her body rot until she dies i'm seeing here according to wikipedia there is vomit of bloodied maggots which is yeah that's a sentence i didn't think i was gonna say today at all oh it's so good it's so good if you have not watched this movie just stop everything and just watch it it's a little bit you may think it might be a little bit of a slow burn but when it fucking like takes off it just doesn't stop like it's Oh my God. So, so good. it's kind of death becomes her, but like visceral. It's visceral. It's it's a lot. It's, the tone is much different. It's much more serious. And it, it's just, you, you, I don't know if you really like, would like this girl. Like she's kind of fucking nut. Like she goes crazy at the beginning. She doesn't get a part in a movie and she fucking tears her hair out in a bathroom stall. Yeah. Like just tearing her hair, chunks of her hair out. Like just fucking crazy and so like she is just like is, at, she's at the this edge thing. everybody always talks about actors being crazy but we want to exploit their emotional range and capacity when they're on screen mm-hmm. but when they're not oh you just have to be like the rest of clearly they're not 
That's a whole argument I've heard where it's like, no, actors are allowed to be crazy because they have to be emotional. And I'm like, ah, uh, nope, because I have the reverse problem. Yeah. I'm crazy because I can't be emotional work when inside I'm punching people in the face with my brain. <laughs> it's called being a professional, right? So, but yeah, she, and actually that those actions catch the eye of these producers, right? So who want her to just to fall into the dark side. And so it's interesting. I love it. Um, Are there producers named uh, Darth Sidious and Darth Vader? (laughs) Actually, it does have an interesting (laughs) name. I I didn't think I wrote it down. I didn't write it down, but whatever. Um, She is a little neurotic, obviously. Uh, Again, she shouldn't have to feel guilty for exploiting herself. She she wanted it. She was like, all right. She was first. She didn't want to do it. And then she turned back. She's like, you know what? I'm going to do it because I want this. And can you get mad at her for just... You know, if that's what she wants, that's what she wants. Like she she's it. taking the reins. Exactly. So good for her. And and for the for the weight, the the weight crushing skull scene alone uh, is just is oh my god, it's so good. I can't tell you how good so anyways, that's my spiel with, with my All right. movie. It's my goddamn time. I would like to wish you a Merry Sistmas. So I'm so excited to talk to Eva Haberman, the star of Sist. Now, who better to talk to? And about, especially when we're juxtaposing it with the subject of, is horror misogynist? Well, here's someone who has profited off of her role as a female in horror movies, and it's empowered her to be a producer and do a bunch of other ambitious stuff. So please enjoy my interview with Eva Haberman. This is Slashers, the interview portion where I have no idea how to introduce the segment. My name is Jake, and with me for the first time, and hopefully not the last because I'm your hugest fan after seeing this movie, Eva Haberman, how are you today? I'm wonderful because I actually, I'm on vacation, which is very hard to do at the moment. Right. But I'm in the middle of Italy. There is not a COVID area here, but it's nice to get out of, well, out of your own place for a week at least. And you just described my heaven, which is just carbs, because I love pasta and pizza and bread, and I am very jealous. Yes, you should be. Also, here's the best pizza in the world, because I think the further Italians go away from Italy, the worse the pizza gets. <laughs> Sorry to say so, but like, I mean, well, <laughs> it's just something that's not typical then. Yeah, well, luckily, I grew up watching Ninja Turtles, so all of that pizza is in a sewer. So anything that's not been doused in toilet water, I'm pretty okay with. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. So you're here. You star in Cyst. And I told you I had some gushing things to say about you. You stole this movie. Like you have a magnetism to you where I'm like, there is a giant pustule pulsating putrid monster and I can just watch you. How are you not the most famous person in the world? I don't understand this. This is a miscarriage of justice. Well, maybe it's easy to act next to a cyst because anybody <laughs> can look pretty and magnifying. <laughs> but um, I just really like playing this character because she's turning out to be, at first, you just think she's a very sort of more like a, a humble, a quiet person that just does what she's told. And then afterwards, she gets so mad that she really goes for him. And I, I really had fun with this fighting scene that yeah. was just great. And I did something in Germany with, a, with um, I did... Um, something like Charlie's Angels. It okay. was called Wild Angels. And there I had a lot of stunts. So I also had some stunt experience. But this was very physical, like very, yeah. I was also amazed at George, how well he could do all this. And we were both really afterwards, we were like done for the day. Like, oh, couldn't move. And but it was so funny. Yeah. Both Tyler and Travis have told me stories about you doing a stunt fall where you like hit the deck and got up and you're like, all right, let's do it again. And they're like, what? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm quite extreme. And also, I just wanted to look good. And also, so it makes sense sometimes to do the things yourself. And also, if you've done something like this, you have some experience how to fall without hurting yourself. But well, you point. hurt yourself anyway. So you get lots of bruises. But well, when I did Lex, um, like years ago, like when I was 19, I did this weird sci-fi show. I love Lex. It's on Tubi for free. And it's amazing. Oh, thank you so much. I just like that people still know it. I'm well. <laughs> Isn't it cool? Because like I was talking to somebody about like lost episodes of media that like you know we just have to accept. Like nobody saved the original tapes, but with Lex, it's like this weird niche thing where people are being penalized by having their organs taken away, and I'm just like, yes, I am all in. This is amazing. Yeah, it was just also like a really fun show because we were all sort of working under one roof. Like, I mean, like the studio was actually a warehouse and they transformed it into a studio. Oh, and so cool. everybody, like there were the props guy next to it were the like the, the guys that built the set. So everyone was like, you could just like walk to another one, like just right over. And so as we sort of walked on set, like in the morning at six o'clock and sort of came back at night, Nine o'clock in the evening so we were there the entire day it was like our world so we yeah. we lived in the lex that's awesome it's like the city of lost children or like dark city but like in the future so it has this like familiarity but it's also just like super out there i mean that was like some of your formative experience that's like 20 years ago and did you still have people yeah. come up to you and say like hey you're from lex yeah, that happened to me once in Australia. I was really? shooting a movie here, a German movie, and I just pulled over to a gas station and I walked in there. The guy was looking at me really weird. It was like really in the like out of nowhere somewhere. So I was just going like, why is this guy looking at me so weird? Yeah. And then when he saw my credit card, he said, like, oh, it's you. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, what is he going at now? And then he was saying, you are Zef. Yeah. I said, mm, yes. And he was just like, how on earth do I meet Zef in the middle of nowhere in Australia? Which is awesome. But, you know that he's yeah. told that story like a thousand times to people who are like, hold on, go back to the part where they're taking organs. What? Ah, that's got to be just the best anecdote. Yeah. Yes, so that was that was really nice. But it's long ago, so I'm happy to shoot basically in English again because I've been shooting mostly in Germany, doing a lot of stuff in Germany and also like being quite well known in Germany. But also like George Hardy said to me when we were shooting our first movie together, which is also the first movie of our film company called Under Control. And there he was the one saying to me, Eva, why aren't you known in the US? We have to get you over there. And so that's basically that's thanks to George Hardy, which is such a, he's such a wonderful person. So he was in our movie. So I already acted twice with George Hardy and it's lots of fun. Yeah. And it, honestly, it's so cool to see those copacetic relationships build because, you know, Tyler talked to me about your, you know, your relationship with George and creating this part to facilitate. And what's fun is the relationship that your character and George's character has is the exact opposite. So that's got to be fun as an actress to like explore, right? Yeah, for George, it was pretty scary. He kept oh, yeah. saying to me that he's afraid of the sides of his character that he's discovering and he's dreaming about it, that we run through the practice and I take his hand and save him. <laughs> and so he was very like, for me, it wasn't so difficult because I could just sort of, I was at ease with myself because she was like super nice and yeah. just sort of going for justice. But he was sort of, I'm afraid of myself. And then afterwards he said, oh, we have to do this again. Let's do a prequel where I'm still alive. <laughs> I love that. If you want to do a prequel, uh, like you cannot do a sequel because then it's only me left and the cest. Yeah. Uh, 
it's less fun because I really like working with everybody there. I sometimes notice that in America, actors just seem more easygoing or they've got a different way of acting. No, they, they do. Like, especially, um, I can't describe it, but it's very natural what they do. And also they are less afraid of doing really silly stuff. What yeah. we did on the show, just when when this woman was walking around with a suit <laughs> on her head, it's all kind of ridiculous. But if you don't have fun with it, then it's not working out because we had fun and that's the best part i mean like it's such a like testament to how much you all love the process because if you take it objectively anybody can look at anything and go oh how contrived right you can go back to gone with the wind and be like just another love story but it's all like the thrill and the fervor of it is contagious because me as an audience member i'm watching it i'm like i want to be on that set for like hours at a time that just seems so fun yeah, you'll see. We also added some bloopers in the end, so you see what was going on behind the scenes, and that's also like where you get a bigger, a greater picture of the whole stuff, like what we were doing. Like, yes. One of the things I find so interesting about your character, because you talk about it, her she kind of has a dynamic shift. She's just very nice, but she's never a wilting lily. She's never pitiful. She's always resolute, and it just amps up. Was that something that was important to you in creating this character? Because sometimes the final girl, if you will, in horror movies seems a little bit sympathetic, and then everything that's happening to her becomes mean-spirited. But in this, with you being so strong the whole time, it's just fun, because I'm like, she's going to knock that system fuck out dude yes and um so for me actually i wanted to be more thin for a character but i had shot a different movie three weeks before where i had gained a lot of weight and so i just looked okay then i'm just going to be a little madame going like <clears throat> and it worked well for the movie because she was not like pretty and slim and like everybody's just supposed to look like in movies but she was more like sort of like i don't know what you call it like a uh, how would you say somebody is like who's a little bit overweight and just sort of- stocky? That's what one of my yeah. Patreon patrons has described herself as. She plays roller derby, so she's you're stout. Yeah, yes. And but- so, and she's just um, very committed and she likes Dr. Guy <clears throat> because we imagined her sort of coming over between the first and the second world war because some of her relatives were Jewish. And so they basically went over to America. And I have in our imagination. Of course. And, I had like two brothers and the brothers were supposed to get like really like education, everything. And I was supposed to be married off to somebody. Mm -hmm. And we imagined that my character just walked past his practice and he just offered me a job, even though I didn't have any paper. I wasn't supposed to work there. So I'm like eternally grateful. And he's eternally grateful to have me there because I'm very sufficient in a way quite german perfectionist and even like telling the doctor oh there's a little bit more and so it's like a love-hate relationship and i think like dr guy has been in love with her all the way through but never tried to say because he was afraid of getting turned down by her and so i just love this the way he's freaking out and telling everybody oh yes so last day didn't you know that and so he's being like really like whining and a little bit pathetic jeering at you yeah Yes. Yeah. And it's really interesting because your sense of like duty that make that backstory that you created makes so much sense. Like there you are. You've been physically wounded because of this man, but you still feel this resolute duty to give something back to him. And that makes a lot of sense with what you're saying as far as your character basically having nothing. And so everything is built upon the foundation of this crazy little man who's very selfish. 
Yeah, and actually liking him, even though he is crazy. And maybe yeah. another crazy person wouldn't have hired me because it would have been too risky saying, okay, you don't have papers, but still. And we also have made up really funny stories how like how Dr. Guy got in this position. Oh, yeah. And our idea, like actually I just interviewed George and George came up with all of this because that's what I like. I sometimes also coach young actors. Yeah. And so I just sort of interview them. Just tell me about your life, like what happened. And so we came up with the story that actually he couldn't have for the practice and at that time alcohol was prohibited so he was sort of like saying to his neighbor okay i caught you now if you don't pay me that money i'm going sort of to report you to police so oh, interesting he gave, he gave him the money in our imagination yeah and dr guy still went to the police so he <laughs> sort of twice that's the type of character he is yeah. he's just a psychopath he's not he doesn't care about anybody yeah. but he cares about her in like this weird kind of incel way, which is another thing that's so interesting is like the parable between, you know, this kind of amorphous 1950s kind of era guy and today, because I mean, women still deal with crazy, dirty douchebags like this all the time. And it blows my mind. And it's a very nice way of saying like, hey, not much has changed. Guys should probably behave better, right? Yes, yes. But it, it's it's always a subject. Like, it's always like there are always like narcissists around there who take advantage or who actually. And it's at some point, well, Patricia gets really disappointed. And that's when she gets really angry at him because so far he's only sort of like treated other people badly. And yeah. now that he starts treating her badly, she just doesn't want to take it because she also has got a certain pride. She's like proud and she just doesn't let him give her any shit. It's like that old quote, like, you know, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out. Then they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out. Then they came for me and there was no one left. That's your exact position because this guy has subjugated and treated everybody like trash from the janitor to the receptionist. But as soon as he turns it towards you, it, you're still being nice to him, which I think is just amazing. Like your relationship building up to that fight scene is just I love it. I think it's so great. And it's I don't, it's yeah. very true and hyperbolic at the same time, which is exciting. Yeah. And for me, it felt it was so scary to hit George over the head. <laughs> Because it, it doesn't hurt, but still, in a way, it hurts a little bit. Yeah. And so it was like, really, oh, we both like, if you watch, if you freeze this to still, you can see him going like, and I go like, <laughs> so we both sort of did it. Like, I was like, really, that was the scariest shot, uh, the scariest shot for me in the whole movie, because I was just really afraid of hurting him, because it should look violent, and it yeah. did look violent. But of course, it's, it is not really dangerous class, but still, it sort of, it, it hurts a bit. Well, it's great. Your character shows a lot of layers in that scene because it doesn't look like you want to engage in the violence. But at a certain point, it looks like that violence with George is very cathartic. And then you kind of start to like it. And what's great is it's all a precursor for when you fight a giant monster. So you could see you go from this very like, you know, clockwork, resolute woman to like this savage Amazonian like warrior princess. It's awesome. Oh, I'm getting a sh I'm getting, going to blush now because that's very sweet what you say because we've of course put a lot of thought in this. Yeah. And when when Tyler and George they basically came up with that idea in the beginning of 2020 and I said come on guys what's that no not not beginning of 2020 beginning of 2019 yeah. they came up with this idea and Tyler told me um, probably has told you too that um, he just saw George and his practice yep. and he just has the idea of him being like an evil scientist 
And so they just approached me in the beginning of that year saying, let's do this movie. And first I said, oh, come on, this guy, this is like really weird. And I don't know if this is like an interesting story or not, because basically if it's just about pus and about a machine, but then I really started to like the story when Tyler came up with the get gone mm. because the get gone is such a shitty machine. It's like <laughs> huge. It only makes sounds. Yeah. And it's like, it was never working, I suppose. Yeah. And Dr. Dr. Guy is so obsessed with it because he thinks he's going to get really famous with it. And like, if he gets really famous with it, maybe also I fall in love with him. So it's all upside down. What he does yeah. is actually to impress me and actually just makes me upset with this. And pushes so, you further away, yeah. Yes. And so I just left this machine. The yeah. machine is so, the machine, it's so crazy. And also um, when George sort of does that crazy scene, yeah, I didn't know that he could be like that. Well, he neither, but it was like really, well, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe my eyes what I was seeing. It was really great. Yeah, he's awesome. And like, that's one of the things that's also very fun is like the physical contrast between you and the movie, because he's always like lurching forward and he's kind of like hunched. It's almost like Jekyll and Hyde because everybody who sees Jekyll and Hyde has never read Jekyll and Hyde because Hyde is actually this diminutive, tiny, almost troll-like character, like under control versus Jekyll. And in this, you know, he's like crouched over himself and you're strong and resolute. And just that almost speaks to like the nature of your character because you are stalwart and he is just trying to make a buck at every single gimmick he can. Yes. But you see so much in the movie. I haven't really thought about that people would see it. Oh, yeah. So you're very attentive because I I didn't know that it was like visible because this is actually what we wanted to get across. And George and I were always rehearsing on the side sort of to save some time because yeah. we had to shoot really quickly. We just had 16 days of shooting yeah. and we were really working long hours. So George and I were always like sticking, hanging out together, rehearsing the scenes. And yeah, that was great. Well, I used to do improv, right? And there's several schools of thought to improv, right? There's a, an old practice called just buy the hat where you tell somebody, hey, in this scene, you're just going to buy a hat. And some people will go in and they'll start being hammy and they'll be like, oh, well, look at this. It's a lobster on my head. And that's that's not the scene. The scene is to buy a hat. And I think that the true nature of character isn't to like change the gimmick of what's going on. It's to change the way you perform the character. And that is clear. Like your movie is not contrived like so many B movies because you take it seriously and it reflects in the nature of your work, I think. Yes. Well, you also have to take each movie seriously because yeah. you always want to see people having a problem and solving it somehow. I yeah. mean, a movie without any problem is not interesting. Yeah. So here you also have to take it seriously and you have to interact and make it emotional and sort of come up with your backstory, which you always should do. And then it's so much more, you have so much more fun with the scenes because there's so many things more in the different layers of subtext. Yeah. So um, we just explored that and I had great fun. And George also like somehow, you see, he's such a natural talent because like if you on, on Under Control on our first movie, which I'm going to tell you about in a moment, we basically try to make a movie like in a way purposely. It's sort of like in a way people think it's like done purposely bad, but we didn't know any better. But the actors are a little bit better than in the room or in or in Troll 2. Mm -hmm. um, 
Is it no, no, it's called yeah, it's troll two, exactly. Yeah, I just you're... keep confusing the names, yes. Well, it's because it's but, a goblin, it's not a troll. So I totally understand what you're saying. Yes. But what's so unique about it is like even really good actors cannot really get that sympathetic side of it. Because what, what you can see in Troll 2, that also everybody is taking what they do really seriously. They are just not so well directed by a director, or they're just not as experienced, but you cannot, the thing is really what I was thinking about the other day, as a good actor, it's very hard to play a bad actor in a way because yeah. they're not bad. They're just a little bit unexperienced yeah. and you see, but they do it with all their heart because if a good actor tries to play bad, then it would just be bad yeah. and not so lovable. And that's why people are so addicted to like, I also, I had watched The Room and I had never imagined that I would work with Greg Sestero yeah. and it was so much fun and they just enjoyed it so much. Everybody was very easygoing and I, I never imagined that I would act with them. I also knew Troll 2 like long ago. Yeah. And yes, I just like movies where people think out of the box. And also we are not where you don't, where you sort of aren't stopped by your own vanity. Yeah. I mean, look at Greg. He's like covered in blood and everything. And he's doing his best. And that's what I want actors to be like, put it all in yeah. for the audience. You want to show them, you want to have like, sort of have them suffer with you. Yeah. And also, like they were so easygoing, all of them. I mean, me too, with all this pus flowing around. Yeah, I was about to say, you get uh, your fair share of goop too. Yeah, but it, it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't that that gross because you knew what it was. Yeah. Actually, I only found it gross when I watched the movie. All of a sudden, when it's like so connected, yeah. because of course you can assume like when there was a close-up of me, there was an FX5X guy standing in front of me with a hose just sort of spraying. <laughs> yeah. But the guys all were really having fun. The more you're like, oh, oh, so it just didn't taste really good. It was, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't fast. I can imagine. Now, you had a, you said uh, something that I think is really interesting when it comes to experiencing with the character. And I think when you're talking about the layers, especially like acting as an actor or something to that degree, if there's no consequence, there's no conflict, right? Because yes. if, if I have $5 in my hand and you take the $5, but I have a million more, there's no consequence of that. It's only if yeah. you know that I need that $5 and stuff. And so you do a great job through the movie. And I think everybody does of showing the sense of desperation. That's like, you know, we put up with George because George is our lifeblood. And then, you know, we're tolerating him and we're doing this whole patent test so that, you know, he can keep afloat. So we keep afloat. And that tie is very connected. You could definitely see that linear path for each character, which I think is so interesting. I really also like what Darren Ewing was doing. And yeah. also it was so romantic because they hadn't seen each other since Troll 2. Crazy. So it was a reunion and that was even more exciting. And of course, he kept doing the line, oh my God. Yes. And he, he is such a good actor. And also like after the movie, both of them said, oh, we have to do more acting because yeah. it was just so encouraging. And yeah, everybody could really play something that was fun and interesting to play. Yeah. And Darren's a great musician, too, if I found out because of this movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I did research on everybody, even though I'm only interviewing four of you. I could probably keep this show going for the next year because I loved everybody. You know, I, even Jason, like I was talking about, like, 
I just started watching anime. And of course, here's the guy who's playing the angry cat god in a diner. I'm like, this is just blowing my brain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's wonderful. Did you also see him in Walking Dead? So uh, I have to confess, I'm going to have to forfeit my horror fan card because I don't do The Walking Dead because I didn't like the comic book. Now, forgive me. The same guy who wrote it, Robert Kirkman, wrote another work that I really, really like called Invincible, which is like a parody of superheroes. So when I got to The Walking yeah. Dead, I think I had too high of expectations and I was like, ah, the comic didn't work. And so my whole plan is what I did with Game of Thrones. I'm going to wait till it's all over and there's no more content. And then if people don't freak out like Game of Thrones and say it's terrible, I'll go back and watch it. See, that way you don't get let down. Ah, okay. Yeah, I learned that from the show Lost, where everybody was like, what's this? They're all blah, blah. And I never watched it in the first place. Never got sassy. No, but the, the first, uh, like the first episodes, or I like the first Four, four seasons are okay just in the end I think there the writers didn't have an idea because they always build up this great mystery I mean yeah. everybody has told you this and in the end they just didn't think they would get so long to having to explain it yeah right and having to explain it was the problem because they just couldn't really tell you because they just build it up so high that afterwards everybody was saying oh come on like now it's time traveling and this and that that's a bit much yeah exactly it's you know, a you know. it was great it's David Copperfield going, oh, razzle dazzle, razzle dazzle. And then it's like, it doesn't actually come off at the end. I completely agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a rabbit and just a little carrot or something. Ah. Yeah, right. Now, you had a lot of TV experience. And so, one of the things I was talking about with Tyler is you were kind of almost uh, like this emblematic leader when it came to working on this compressed schedule. You're like, all right, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Did that experience as a TV actress help you in this film because of that schedule? Well, the schedule was harder than on a TV show. And I I have done quite a lot of low budget movies lately because there you can do as you wish. Yeah. Because also in Germany, I think it's similar to the US. Like when you get a certain age, it's harder for a woman to get parts because 100%. you're... No, it is because you're yeah. not more like like between 20 and 30. I was like blonde and sexy and like like also from the figure. I look different. I'm allowed to more- say with my wife that you are a very attractive woman because she also agreed when we watched this. So don't depreciate yourself, but keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. But it's it's generally it's just like that, that the roles like yeah. whoever you look at in Germany, I assume it's similar in the US. It They're is very just not you just don't see them anymore. It's really weird. And so I just decided that I didn't want to accept this. And I started, well, I'm also a co-producer of CIST and we just started producing movies, our own movies, because I said, well, if nobody wants to cast me, I'm just going to cast myself. And if I cast myself, I'm going to cast myself for stuff that I think is fun. Because I was always playing these romantic characters. I had like always like the one that was sort of split up between the man who's good to her, but who's poor and the rich guy who's an asshole. <laughs> and of course, everybody goes, oh, will she choose the right guy? Yeah. And of course, then the, the poor guy all of a sudden wins a million in the lottery. So she ends up having like a rich, good guy. And there so that's basically what I did most of the time. And now people are actually quite confused about what I'm doing. But <laughs> I love it though. I just love doing that. That's my, that's my crazy and silly side. I just love doing that. 
you bring up a great point when it comes to the age. It's like your Emma Stone or your Angela Lansbury. Like there's a huge gap in between where there's like Tony Collette, and maybe two other women who are cast in that kind of 40 range. Uh, is that that just feels unfair to me as a, an audience member? How unfair is it from somebody in your perspective? It does feel very unfair, but it it is like that. It's yeah. just normal. I mean, look at the, all the advertisements. So I don't blame anybody for that. And yeah. actually, usually like some, it's like age also has nothing to do how you feel. So actually, yeah. if you're like 44, you could look, well, I'm 44, you could look much older and have kids and all that and have a different life. But I had quite an interesting life because I've been like working for... 27 years as an actress. I also do stage and all that because I just, what I love about acting is that you've got like a free card to be whatever you like and nobody can blame you for that. So you can be as embarrassing. Well, I'm often also embarrassing because I always like actors just put on a show and talk and tell jokes. And so the rest of the restaurant hears everything. So I always have to sort of lower my voice a bit because I'm- (laughs) I have theater voice too, don't worry. (laughs) Everybody sort of like, here's what I'm saying. But to me, it's just such a great job. And so I'm also somebody, maybe a little bit, I am also a little bit similar to Patricia. Like all my characters do have, of course, sides of of what I have. And she's also somebody, or I'm somebody who just doesn't give up. So I'm not somebody who will sit there whining, go like, "Mm, nobody wants to cast me. Then I just say, okay, then I just put up a play or this. And so this is how I got into producing and acting in Actually, we did three trash movies. One of them is Sky Sharks, which yes. we'll also about. It's a movie about flying sharks, and it's it's crazy, really crazy. And that was also like it's it will be sort of coming out in Germany in the beginning of next year, but it's coming out in the theaters, so we'll probably be. It's very hard to see if it's actually coming out now, which is which is sad because it's just because of COVID, nothing is really working if it comes to theaters. And, um, but the good thing is like trash movies are international. So a lot of movies are not international. If I tell a German story, it's, it's not always as appealing as this has got, it doesn't matter where you are from trash is in a way international and you see people having fun and doing like crazy stuff. So yeah. Well, trash fans it's- are like they're in they're in on the joke, you know, like nobody who likes trash is laughing at this. We're rooting for you the whole way. And that's like I said, I think maybe we were recording. I don't remember. But like if you fail and you're doing trash, it still works because it's trash. But if you exceed, you also win. So it's a great situation to be in with the right audience. And that's got to be something that's hard, especially as a producer, is to reach that audience. Can you kind of talk about like how difficult that is to market yourself in a world where everything is throwing ads at you all the time? I really don't know. But also, you see, you have to do something different yeah. if you have no money because it was all self-financed and everything. So, I mean, Hollywood has got so, so much money. And if they want to do a fantasy movie or like a like a horror movie, they have lots of money. And so yeah. if you don't have, it will naturally end up as trash. But it's just, it doesn't mean that the whole idea of the movie is trash. It's just sort of like the circumstances, how it was produced. Yeah. But um, it's, it's always very well exciting and crazy and also the crew is very uh, just they just love what they're doing because if everybody just joins as they love the project because you know you won't get rich with shooting a movie like that 
But I had it on really well-paid German TV shows, but actually, which was quite sad that we had a director coming up the day before and actually saying to us, well, we all know that this script isn't really good, but let's have a good time anyway. I was sitting there like at the main actress. What did you say? Just have a good time and just don't worry about the story. This is not why I'm here. Yeah. So um, I just... I love low-budget filmmaking in a way because there's just made out of love, of passion, of craziness. It's just more, yeah, it's not about money. Yeah, and everybody has a sense of ownership, right? Because if you're a guy who's on a big union set, you're like, whatever, this movie can suck. I got a guaranteed gig next week. But when it's this, like you own this movie. This is part of you and your essence moving forward. This is going to be part of your brand. These are going to be your people because let me tell you, horror nerds like me, we're emblematic. We'll follow you. Like, you are my girl now like you're my my favorite german actress right here oh my god that was easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't, i'll admit i don't necessarily have the biggest wealth of information on the topic but my point is like you know are there any genres that you want to explore uh, now that you've done this kind of horror sci-fi and you know s- horror comedy with under control I do have actually two really different sides in me. I also like really like psychological thrillers, Mm. which are really intense and psychological plays. But always, I really like things like um, movies like from Darren Aronofsky. I like Black Swan and I like Requiem for a Dream. Things that are a little bit different, but that are not um, horror movies. They're mostly just about the relationships between different people. So we also shot another movie last year called The Ugly Truth which is about family, very well situated. And I play the the, the wife, mm-hmm. like it's like husband and wife and their daughter. And she's actually the successful one in the, in the family. She's the lawyer and she works and the husband is an unsuccessful artist. And so then all of a sudden my character has got an accident and she cannot really walk anymore. And she gets very frustrated. She is actually a workaholic. Now she cannot work anymore. And she gets depressed and she gets into drinking heavily. And this movie actually is about that people cannot deal with the depression. Like the husband just falls in love with another girl who doesn't love him back. But everybody is trying to find a solution. But the solution is not with the one who's depressed. But it's like everybody just tries to get away from her as as well as far as possible. And that's how it all just sort of like... In the beginning, you just think this movie is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. But just slowly, the depression just sneaks in. And so actually, when the audience realizes that this is serious, and also the main characters realize it, it's basically too late. So it is a very emotional movie that's totally different but it also what it does it creates emotions because what i want to do is like create something in the audience i want them to fascinate them and by either emotions or by just showing them some things that's different and it's very interesting to me at the moment that in germany they say they wouldn't really want to like sort of uh, like show a movie about depressions because they want to cheer everybody up by having yeah. like these shows which is but also like i would say like if there are so many depressed people out there like more than ever I would maybe also feel felt taken more seriously if I see a movie where I can recognize myself because if I'm depressed, then I it doesn't help me to watch like a funny show or something because it still doesn't make me happy. And I yeah. want to be sort of like seen where it's sort of like recognize myself in that person. Yeah. So, well, we'll see how that goes. 
Well, there's an attitude online where people are like desperate for attention, right? And so there's a, a question of like, are those people reaching out to people online because they're not getting that kind of emotional nourishment from those around them? Or is it the reverse? There's so many like complex issues there. And it's a great point. Mental health is not taken very seriously here. And very often people are just like, I'll get over it. Oh, everyone's going through COVID. How many times have you heard that already? So I think that's a huge point to make sure that people feel represented on the screen, whether as a 40-year-old woman, as a depressed person, as a nurse who happens to be employed by some guy who's creating a pus monster. I think that's very important. Yeah. <laughs> that's very bad if you get that kind of job where, yeah. where your boss is creating a cyst monster. That's very <laughs> uncomfortable. But also, well, like, so you see, I just like, I'm like a little crazy kid but I'm also like have got this depth inside of myself. And what I was so happy about, like just giving like some interviews about this movie and just showing like the ugly truth about the serious movie, let, let us call this. And um, actually I'm, it's just sort of like a, a protest against society mm -hmm. that people who have got depression are so stigmatized yeah. that people, you know, and that's also why you find them so much on the internet, because if people have it, but they can't talk about it, yep. because if you talk about it, everybody goes like, oh, she's so depressed. She's always depressed yeah. because it's like, it's people still think it's a sign of being nuts or crazy. Yep. It's not a good crazy. It's a bad crazy because depressions are just, well, really horrible. And so this was, yeah, this is what I wanted to reach for that movie. Well, because you could be say, oh, I was in a car accident back in the 90s. I had to get chiropractic care for six months. You know, it sucked. And people are like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And then you just keep talking. But if you were like, man, I, I got hit and uh, I had to go to therapy, like, you know, psychological counseling for like six months. And, you know, I got over it. People would be like, oh, I'm going to remember, I'm going to bookmark that because I mean, she's fucking crazy forever. And it's like, that is not real that's, life. That's it's, so sad. It's that's pathetic. So sad. Yeah. That's just not, that's just not right. It's cruel. Um, yeah. But it's actually, I think sometimes that especially the people who've got it inside themselves, that's the ones they sort of talk the worst about the others because they're also afraid of the subject. So they goes, oh, it's she, she's crazy. I'm not crazy. Yeah. I'm just sad or whatever. But uh, so this movie is also going, well, we're just uh, finished it yet and we're also going to sell it soon. But that's our second movie. That's the movie that I shot just before Cyst. Very cool. And so Cyst is working on distribution. Uh, before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about Under Control, where people can find that so they can help patronize you while they wait for Cyst. Because let me tell you, people are going to love you. You're, you're... <laughs> So, That's so nice this way they can be like, <laughs> when Cyst comes out, they'll be like, I'm an old, I'm an, I'm an Eva diehard fan. I've been with her forever. Get out of here. So tell us about Under Control, please. Under Control was our first movie. And uh, actually, first of all, I was just an actress in it. Okay. But afterwards, like, I just admired the two guys so much who sort of got this together. And all the actors and the crew were working basically for free. And they would only get the money later after the movies being sold and making money. And I just liked their passion yeah. and how like, how they just wanted to do this so badly. And they got so many people on board. And I just liked this attitude. I just went like, just go for your dreams. And and what they did, they just knew George Hardy from Troll 2. And so they just went like, how can we contact this guy? So they called his practice. They just called his practice in Alabama and talked to him and made him come over to Germany. That's amazing. And work again like as an actor after so 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 long yeah uh, yeah and also there's another character in there who who doesn't speak german not one word german he doesn't speak english he's from czechoslovakia oh, wow. he's a 
big star there. So they called him also like in the theater saying like, you, we movie. And he just didn't understand. So 10 minutes later, they got back with somebody who spoke Czechoslovakian or Czech. And so then they, he understood. And he also joined in because I just love this attitude that you just try it because there isn't anything, nothing can happen. Just somebody can say no, but yeah. I mean, if you haven't tried, you will never know. And this movie is actually about a troll. This movie is not about a goblin. A troll. <laughs> it's all sort of similar it's very yeah. confusing because it's like like even rosella drudy who wrote troll too she also said well goblins trolls it's yeah. all the same in a way and so it's about um let's say a troll has been banished into a statue 700 years ago because he was being evil trying to kill people by sucking out their their soul of their body that's what he does because of course this troll is like in troll to also a vegetarian yeah. and lives on organic waste basically so that's what he likes and so um he accidentally comes back to life because he's being digged out on the ground when they are like doing like on a construction site yeah. and then he's just looking for the perfect disguise and he just has a fable for like blonde women women i suppose so he just sees my character and he just says oh what a slut she oh. is the right host for me wow. <laughs> my character is just like wild girl and yeah. he just says Okay, I just sort of like take over her person, like her body. Yeah. Just he's just sort of stealing my soul. And so actually I'm playing somebody who is a troll, which is like you can just go totally wild with yeah. it, get totally crazy. And this movie is like we dubbed it into English, like with all these well famous voices, also from Dragon Balls, like we got Christopher Sabbath no. and we got Jason Douglas. And so um even Tyler spoke two characters i saw that but he spoke two characters in our movie <laughs> yeah what's interesting uh, on google if you search him it comes up as actor and i was like ha ha he's yeah, actually yeah, directing he but also a talent and also like if you if you look at his other movies he did already when he was 19 he was acting in them yeah. so you just have to, you know, he doesn't talk about it but you have to find them he's it's a good looking bad. kid too i'm he's like just, man you should put yourself a little bit higher up he's not like tarantino with fudge face i mean come on man give yourself some higher billing right yeah so you will <laughs> find him there. which is awesome yeah, so under control is um is also out in america it's where we premiered and uh, it's been out for like four weeks on DVD and also like on, on on platforms like Amazon Prime and iTunes and Apple TV and other. But you can look it up if you check out the page www under control. But it's with two L yeah. because under control means this woman is being under control of a troll. So it's yeah. a little bit like, well, too intellectual maybe because in the rest of the world, our movie is called Trolls World. Yes. Well, it doesn't matter really to me what it's called. And right after the DVD came out in America, the movie has been ripped in Russia. And wow. it, has been, it has been dubbed in Russia within three days. Wow. And we found it on the internet. And it's like dubbed just to a DVD. So they always go like they put down the sound. Yeah. So you just music, music, somebody says something, music, music, somebody. It's really wow. funny with different voices. 
And so at first I thought, oh my God, they just stole it. That's not fair because we ourselves downloaded it there from a platform paying $1.50 to get it. Wow. But then we sent it to our sales agent and said, listen, use this just to sort of uh, try out if you can sell it to Russia. And it worked out. So now there you go. And is also in Russia. That's awesome. This Legally. Well, it, it, like it goes to the passion of the people, like horror fans, like, you know, especially trash fans. Like we're proud of the stuff that we like and we're going to do what we need to consume it. Like I still have like a Sega Dreamcast because I'm so like addicted to those old games and like that niche where I'll do whatever it takes to play it. You know, one thing I wanted to say when you're Google searching under control, I highly recommend putting it in quotations because otherwise Google's going to be like, oh, clearly you misspelled it. And there's another movie called Under Control, which can suck my but Jackie Chan or someone. Yes. Okay. Get that stuff right. out of here. I'm all about your movie. Yeah. Thanks for telling me because Trolls World is easier to find. Yeah. Much but, more. Uh, but it's, um, and actually it's called Under Control Possessed by a Monster. That's maybe easier to find, but also, um, but you're right. I'll, I'll try that out. And this movie is an homage to the 80s. So yeah. it's basically like if you're an 80s fan, also that's part of like, if you like that movie, it's, you, you should be a fan of Troll 2. And also you should be a fan of the 80s because you find so many quotes in there. It's basically an homage to the 80s and also to trash movies. That's awesome. So this is what it is. And either people love it or they just go like, they get really upset about the movie saying like, I can't take this. This is ah, because it doesn't follow any rules. It's almost like a Bollywood movie. Sometimes they just start dancing, singing. Yes. Because it was like all, it was like a big experiment. Just let's go for whatever we feel good with. And not really, it wasn't thought like from the direction of the, like from the direction of the filmmaker saying, okay, what audience and so on. Like, what do we like? And so this is what the movie is about. So you basically have to adapt a little bit to the movie because the movie won't adapt to you. Well, it's great because it's like a gamble. Like you get, you all gambled on yourself. The guys who didn't get paid until they get royalties or what have you. It's all, I'm going to put this content out and it's going to speak for itself. And I think if you're doing and you're creating with that kind of mindset, you're going to find the audience who seeks out. You know, you're not going to the lowest common denominator like your schlock Fast and the Furious movies. If that's your thing, fine. But my point is, it's like that just applies to D all of the above. I don't seek out D all of the above. I seek out the weird niche thing. I seek out movies where there's a ghost samurai that's cutting people up when they have sex. That's what I look at. So that's something like this appeals to me. So that's awesome. And I think our audience is really going to resonate with it. What you have to watch is then the making of of yes. Under Control. We actually do, we had subtitles and also had the narrator like spoke in 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 English as well. And this is actually how movie like how low budget movie making is. And there you see everything sort of like in a way everything goes wrong or nobody knows what they're doing. But what they're doing, they do it with lots of love. There you go. And this is what you can clearly see there when you watch the like it's half an hour long. You can also like. I'll I'll show it to you. Perfect. I I love it. So I kept you about 15 minutes over. I apologize for exploiting your time and nature, but this was so fun. I, anytime you have anything to peddle or promote, you come to me and I'll give you all the platform I can because you are awesome. 
Oh, thank you so much. No, but only you can only promote under control if you like. Oh, I will. <laughs> because oh no, you can go like like in the in the other show where the, where it was just complaining how horrible the movie is, and then just it makes like they said, oh, it makes my tooth hurt. It's <laughs> horrible. That's well, that's something. I have yeah. to ask George about it if movies actually can make your tooth hurt. I don't think Ooh, so. That's a very interesting argument, and he's the guy to ask. So that makes sense. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Merry Christmas and happy non-denominational winter holiday. Yes, thank you. Merry Christmas to you too. And well, enjoy the rest of the year. The next year will only get better. I hope so. (laughs) Knock on wood, right? (laughs) Uh, I think that it's appropriate that we couch your feminist discussion with CIST as we address systemic patriarchal oppression of women. Oh, I see what you did there. Systemic. I love it. I love it. So anyway, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon patrons, everybody who supports us, everybody who's bought our shirts on Redbubble. We have shirts and stuff and pencil cases and comforters. Oh my gosh, great for gifts and stocking stuffers. And we have more designs coming up soon. Thank you, Adam, for helping with that. So like super excited about the store. I'm so excited. And we have a bunch of other stuff. You know, we have like the Patreon. We have watch parties set up. We have a few things that are in the works. We're doing interviews, expanding. 2021 is going to be our year. And if you can, please tell somebody about us. Uh, you know, we were talking about this. Have you ever clicked on a goddamn ad to go listen to a podcast? Probably not. So why am I going to take your Patreon dollars or your merch sales and put it towards that? We could use good word of mouth. Reviews help. It gives us better metadata. One of the things that's stupid about the name of the show is you put in Slashers Podcast, Google will collate a bunch of podcasts with the word Slashers in it as a categorical term, and we lose the fact that Slashers is the name of our show. So helping out where you can with that metadata is huge. So I can't say enough. Thank you for everybody who has participated in all the bullshit to make us grow. And if you have the opportunity or the wherewithal to do it now, we'll accept any latecomer who wants to leave us a review. Um, Support Slashers. And we love you guys. And Cam, that fucking vest was amazing. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous that Jake got it. But obviously, he would get it because he's our leader. He's our fearless leader. The only person to be on every single episode of Slashers, including the bonuses and the pilot episode that no one should ever listen to. (laughs) Okay, but you know, I wouldn't be slashers obviously without you, Jake. Like you carry us into better places, so we love you. Um, and like, thanks guys for listening to me. And I'm, uh, you know, hopefully I didn't turn you off in my feminist rant. Um, and uh, have a wonderful holiday. Goodbye and good die.